Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Esther. Esther 8, verses 15 through 17. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated. Because of the good and extraordinary providences of this past week, I decided to rework an older sermon and Providentially, I had heard it not long before, and we really need a sermon like this today. We need to be recognizing who we are as the church, the joyful community that has hope for the entire world. We need to have a perspective that is different, revolutionary, biblical, and gospel, that recognizes that when The Holy Spirit falls upon a church, and the glories of God shine through her. Great things happen for the whole world. We need encouragement today. And for that, toward that end, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for that. We really do need it. And we thank you that the only place where any joy, light, celebration, festivity can really be found is in the Church of Christ because of her head, Jesus Christ, who is the author of all good things, the author of joy. We thank you that you call us to joy, that Jesus invites us to pray for anything, and that toward the end that our joy would be full, because he wants us to pray for him, for the fullness of who he is, and growing in the grace and knowledge of him. So feed us Christ today in the word, as you will again next Sunday, and in the sacrament, Lord willing, as well. So we commit now unto you this sermon and our hearing. In Jesus' name, amen. So everywhere and every time that God shows up as the deliverer of his covenant community, the true saints of the Lord, those who have been forgiven of their sins and who love God in Jesus Christ, rejoice greatly. And sometimes God allows that joy to be contagious and to infiltrate through the entire culture in which we live, starting from us here in the church to those immediately around us in our families, workplaces, schools, neighborhoods, environments, whatever it might be. And that is a wonderful thing. Now, today's text reflects both of those dynamics, i.e. the joy of the saints in the Old Covenant Church because they had been delivered from the horrible edict of Haman that had put them all under the ban of of annihilation, and because we see that joy spreading out from the Jews of the Old Covenant Church to the entire city of Susa, the main headquarters of the Medo-Persian Empire, and then even further out into the country of that nation and empire as well. It is a beautiful thing. Before we go further, allow me to give you two biblical examples of this, one from the Old and the other from the New Testaments. The first one from the New Testament finds the deacon Philip proclaiming the gospel in a Samaritan area, which was uh, looked down upon, 
is a deprived, spiritual, depraved sort of situation. And we read these words in Acts 4, 8. So there was much joy in that city. That Samaritan city. There was great joy in it because the deacon Philip had come from the church and preached the gospel there. The other intimated in our call to worship out of Nehemiah today comes from chapter 12 of Nehemiah, where in verse 43 we read, God had made them rejoice with great joy, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So they they formed these two great choirs that marched on the wall in Jerusalem, and they proclaimed the glory of God to their entire world. And even today, we hear the echoes of that praise, and we reverberate with it in our edition of our praise with all the saints that have preceded us in glory and those who are joining us today in the church. In light of all this wonder, let's make it our goal this morning to be Christ's joyful church, witnessing his presence in the world. Looking together at Esther 8, 15 through 17. Again, I thank Elder Wayne for identifying that passage for you. It's a little hard to find. It's in page 415, the Pew Bible, if you're using it. Title of the sermon, The Joy of the Church, the Doctrine. Christ, in his good news, miraculously communicates gladness and honor to his redeemed church. Please notice that it is Christ himself who is the good news. He is the kernel, the essence of the gospel itself. He is the heart and soul and center of it. Jesus is the reason for our joy, our celebration, our festivity, our light, and our pleasure. The story is the gospel, it's the medium, but Jesus is the message. And that truth must always be kept in mind. Indeed, it is true that Christ in his good news miraculously communicates gladness and honor to his redeemed church. And he's doing that here today. First, this delight is the result of Jesus' own presence. Every time Christ appeared on the scene to his church saints after his resurrection, and both before and after his ascension into heaven, the result following the initial amazement and wonder of it all was great joy in the redeemed of the Lord, the people that saw him. Great joy. Jesus Christ brings joy. He brings celebration. He brings delight because our sins are forgiven. We are not condemned. We are free people. We have all good things in Christ. The whole world has been given to us to use for God's glory. No, not all Christ Jesus' appearances brought joy. We might recall our Revelation series a while ago and reflect on the fact that much of that apocalyptic tome was devoted to the Messiah appearing in judgment on Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And as he was beheld in the sky by those witnesses back then, it was a mode of judgment. But when it comes to his true saints those who are forgiven, who are redeemed, who are sealed and signed in the covenant of the church, who are endued with and filled with and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, when it comes to them, the regenerated individuals, your Savior's appearances always result in joy, even if 
because we live in a fallen, broken world, we struggle with grief and suffering, sorrow, loss, trial, and difficulty, which is part of the fall, but is also part of the great grand story by which God is able and does reveal himself as the glorious, loving Father who can show his grace and mercy and kindness and love in the greatest extent by redeeming a people in a fallen world and calling that his own elect church. So even today, if this is our problem, our struggle, recognize that it leads to something great. Because ever since the resurrection of Christ from the dead, we share in his inexpressible joy. He shares it with us, and we have the treasure of it in him, our Lord Jesus, in his person. And this is why the spirit-filled church is also the joy-filled church, even though we suffer with Christ in this world, in the sense that we go through hardships and trials and are objects of persecution and difficulty and things like that. But so long as that is designed to make us more like Christ, it's good and we'll thank God for it. Because all things work together for good to those who love God, those called according to his purpose, according to Romans 8.28. So Christ in his good news miraculously communicates gladness and honor to his redeemed church. This delight is the result of Jesus' own presence. Again, it's not like Christ is going to come here and say, the goods are over there. I'm the one that's going to show you where the goods are. No, he is the treasure. He is the bread of life. He is the wine of life, the water of life, the good of life. He is the only hope. He is the great gift of God to us, he himself, which assures us, assures us of grace, forgiveness, and every other good thing. Because of Jesus, we, the atoned-for members of his church, possess all the treasures of God's grace and benefits in him. And I would reference for you Colossians 2, 2b, and 3, where we're told as much that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. And we get to enjoy that here and now, as well as in eternity. So what good thing do you or I need today? Let us find it, not in the world or in ourselves or in the world's promises, but in Christ through the ministrations of his church. Let us find him where he is, where you are right now here today. And let this be said, dears, if any of us are facing very trying situations right now, but we are remaining true to Jesus despite those trying and hard times, we might, like the people in, in uh, Susa and in the Medo-Persian Empire of 5th century Esther and Mordecai, had been under a curse, a ban, a condemnation. And indeed, in our fallen state, we are condemned. Without Jesus Christ, we are damned. We are destroyed. We are hell-bound. So they were under this ban, but now, by God's grace, that has been lifted. And now, in Jesus Christ, his cross resurrection, the one who died for us, who rose from the dead for us, we are free, liberated, 
children. The God of the new and great covenant has brought us absolute deliverance in his Son. And in his good time and his good pleasure, he will allow us, if he wills, to understand that whatever we struggle with today has a redemptive element to it, so long as we remain faithful to and in Christ and his church. Let's look at the text that's verses 15 through 17, Esther chapter 8, and wonder at how the joy of the church impacts the whole world. I think this is one of the fascinating, interesting dimensions of these three verses, namely that the entire culture is profoundly affected by what goes on amongst the covenant people of God. I hope you understand that what you do here on Sundays is the most important thing that happens in the whole world. And it's true for every other truly faithful church, wherever it's gathered anywhere in the world on the Lord's Day. And what we do here, whether we understand it or the neighbors understand it or the culture understands it or the world understands it, they are all profoundly affected by it, either positively or negatively. But they are affected. No one can be free of the tsunami of the gospel that goes forth from a church faithfully preached on the Lord's Day. The results will be felt and had in a good or a negative way. God is sovereign, and he does this. We might recall as well the backhanded compliment the apostles received in the book of Acts at chapter 5, verse 28b, where their opponent said this about them, You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. See, we fill our Jerusalems with our doctrine. It starts here and it overflows from you, whether you even say a word or not. Just by having been here as a faithful Christian, you communicate to the whole world the gospel doctrine as you go into it. In that very light, let us now discover afresh and anew how the joy of the church impacts the whole world. First, we are revealed as God's regal covenant children, verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, Hasuerus, in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown, a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. Earlier in the book, Mordecai had gone out sad and mournful because he was partly responsible for this terrible ban that had come upon the Jews because he wouldn't bow down to the wicked Haman. So Haman concocts this scheme and tricks the king into making this law that cannot be changed like the one we have in Daniel. And here he goes out in royal kingly garb. He is intimating and prefiguring what you have in Jesus Christ in the perfect royal clothing of Jesus Christ himself. You wear his righteousness, his person, his covering of you that has covered over all of your sins. You are the children of the great king. And he goes out into Susa and the whole city rejoices. This Revelation by God of his royal children is an important thing. Sometimes God sort of hides his children. They don't seem to be evident to the world. But in his good time, he reveals them. 
He will do it for sure, at least at the very least on the great judgment day, no question about that. But even provisionally throughout the world and time and history and church history, God does this. And sometimes we call these great works of revival and reformation in the church. Mordecai is an Old Testament preview of what all of you are who love Jesus Christ and are bound to him and his church today. You're clothed in the regal garb of Christ himself, his perfect righteousness. And it gets manifest by God to the world in his good time and in his perfect sovereignty. That adornment of Christ's majestic glory is found in and on you. You are the exhibits that God puts forth for the world to see. Mordecai left that building and the people rejoiced. Let's take note of the fact that verse 15b does say that Susa shouted and rejoiced at the sight of Mordecai. You know, they weren't all Jews in Susa. Isn't that interesting that even among the Gentiles in Susa, there was shouting and rejoicing? The contagion of the joy of the Lord had so affected the whole city that even they partook of it? How much more perfectly so is this when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in the new covenant age, now that he is fully incarnate, having become a man, has risen to the Father's right hand, and he exhibits you, his church, as his glorious prized treasures. And he does this as we preach the gospel and his person of Jesus' grace to the people in the world. As we do that, God is glorified. How the joy of the church impacts the whole world. First, we're revealed as God's regal covenant children. Then the gospel floods our hearts and the earth with Christ's grace. Verses 16 and 17a. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. These are beautiful verse words of this verse and a half. So why are all these people so happy? Did you notice? It's because of the good news they heard. They had been told earlier of the bad news. You're all dead. You're going to be wiped out. That's where we are in our dead state and sin. In Adam. Conceived rebels, dead, no life, haters of God. And anyone who doesn't think that's true is not only deceiving themselves, they're robbing God of the glories of the gospel. That's how great this work of God is, as he takes such complete recalcitrant haters of him and makes us lovers of him in Christ Jesus. It was the good news that they heard, and it portended the greatest news of the gospel of Jesus that you're hearing right now. That's why all the texts of the Bible, it doesn't matter if it's Genesis, Esther, Exodus, Psalms, Romans, John, Revelation, Leviticus, they all point to the same one, Jesus Christ our Lord. What always happens where and when the gospel of Jesus is understood, embraced, and valued? There's a lot of rejoicing, gladness, celebration, and festivity. Who gets affected by all this heavenly life on earth in and through Christ? 
everyone, and not just the church. Why is this important for us and for everybody else? Because, dears, there is hope for the world. Let me say it again. There is hope for the world. It's not hopeless. It's not despairing. There is hope for the world. But that hope is a person, not a political figure, not a movement, not a social justice thing. It's a real person. He is the God-man. He has provided a place of hope on the earth in his faithful churches. There is absolutely hope for the world. Should we worry? Should we be stressed? Should we be concerned? Should we not simply rejoice in the hope we have and trust that a sovereign God will bring his elect people into it and all the others as well will be affected by it and God will get the glory? Has the church ever lost in the entire history of the universe? Have we ever come out on the short end of the stick since the fall of Adam in the garden? No. Look at history. We've always come out better, stronger, by the grace of God. There is hope. Jesus is the Savior of the world, John 4:42b. How the joy of the church impacts the whole world. First, we're revealed as God's regal covenant children. Then the gospel floods our hearts and the earth with Christ's grace. And finally, others desire to become one with us, verse 17b. Amazing text here. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Isn't that interesting? Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but... Wasn't some of this joining with the Jews political and self-serving? Undoubtedly, there was some of that. No question. That's always been the case in the visible militant church. Some people join a church for self-serving ends, social prestige, societal affirmation, That doesn't exist so much these days, but it has, or even business advantage. But there's always been this true remnant that will join for the right reasons. Now, how they joined back then in these days, it was a little different because they didn't have a temple, they didn't have a priesthood, circumcision and all that. But the text says that these people joined themselves with the Jews because fear of the Jews had fallen on They recognized that the church at that time couldn't be defeated. It's like the church today cannot be defeated either. It's impossible. They will try, but they can't do it. Now, this is also a remarkable preview of the Gentiles joining with the Jews in the New Covenant, a theme so celebrated by the Holy Spirit, especially through the pen and the heart of the Apostle Paul, as per the great second chapter of Ephesians, where three times he celebrates and repeats this fabulous mystery that the Jews and the Gentiles are now one church in Christ. And here we have a preview of it. These people join with the Jews for fear the Jews had fallen on them. There's 
People do join with the church today for noble reasons too. Because they recognize that they're sinners, there's no hope in them, there's no goodness in them, there's nothing righteous about them, and they know that here they hear of Jesus, the one who is their righteousness, their hope, their justification, and their forgiveness. And they can't help but love him and join his people. That's a beautiful thing. And that's where we want to be. At the end of the day, the sheep are always separated from the goats and the wheat from the tares anyway, as per Matthew 25, 32, and 13, 30. But in any and all cases, is it not really an amazing thing to consider that God draws people to himself through you? The people, the church of God. The lovers of God, and you are that because of the gift of faith bestowed on you who now believe truly in Jesus Christ and adore him. Lord's Day to Lord's Day and throughout the week. Let's look now at some more application this morning and understand together why the joy of the church is such a key dimension of life in our fallen world. Now, I understand that we all come from different backgrounds, and some believers are a bit uncomfortable with the concept of joy, maybe because they have a hard time differentiating it from the shallow, ankle-deep, artificial, pasted-on smile of a lot of religion today, or the show-making of pseudo-spiritual enthusiasm that is out there. And they just don't want to be part of that. I, I totally get that. But I am here also to tell you, dears, we have not just a responsibility, but a duty to be joyful and to express that joy to the Lord in Christ. If we can put all those false things aside, we can embrace Jesus in true, unfettered, and comprehensive bliss. Look at it this way. You are, if you're in Christ Jesus... If you're an elect saint who loves God, you know you're a sinner, but you've been forgiven. You're stuck with being eternally blissful anyway in, in heaven. So you may as well start getting used to it here and now in the church on earth. And I, and I really mean that. I, I think you know maybe us Reformed people are kind of uh, stodgy some ways, you know, theological and all that. But, you know, the best tradition of the Reformed is also highly emotive in ways that are respectful and honorable to God. So I do want to encourage you. And he did a great job singing those wonderful hymns that our great pianist and our wonderful hymn chooser and song leader led you in today. You get another opportunity, I think, at the closing hymn, too, just to let her out and enjoy it. So, why the joy of the church is such a key dimension of life in our fallen world? Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength, first of all. That Nehemiah text. And because it, our gladness, evidences the reality of our, being, of our God's being amongst us. In other words, the joy of the Lord is evidence that God is here. It's a house of prayer for all the nations. It's a house of joy and worship. 
A very significant point. No Christ, no joy. Yes, Christ, yes, joy. Where Christ is, there is a deep-seated well, even an ocean of divinely given delight that can only be explained by the presence of God among us. And the true God is found where Christ is preached, believed in, loved, adored, served, and worshipped. So let us never lose sight of the poignant truth that the immediate source of the joy of the church, as made clear by our scripture lesson today, was the hearing of good news. This is why we have to hear the gospel every Sunday. We were talking about that in our Christian education this morning. All throughout the week, we forget it and we think we're on works again. I do, you do, we all do. We have to come back to this gospel. We have to hear it. That's what triggered the joy. The hearing of glad gospel tidings. Is there hope for a hopelessly fallen, lost universe and world in which we find ourselves? You bet there is, but... He is the same hope that your souls have latched onto by grace. You who love God in Jesus Christ have been overwhelmed by him. And this affection always in one form or another does lead to our taking pleasure in God. And it affects the whole world. Why the joy of the church is such a key dimension? Our gladness evidences the reality of our God's being amongst us. And most importantly... Yet our cheerfulness glorifies our God and Christ our Lord. Dears, if we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, shedding his blood for us, and if we believe that he rose from the dead on the third day, and if we believe that he ascended into heaven, and if we believe that he is seated at the Father's right hand, reigning and ruling over the church and the rest of the world, then how can we do anything less or else than rejoice and praise him, the true God? On the other hand, if our religion is a farce and our profession is void and empty of Jesus, then how can we be anything but morose and spiritless, dead, lost, condemned sinners? Why do we preach Jesus Christ in the gospel of grace, Lord's Day to Lord's Day? from whatever text we find ourselves in, for at least three very cardinal reasons. First, and most important, to glorify God in Christ Jesus. The gospel proclamation glorifies him whether anybody believes it or not. Two, to fill the whole world with the gospel and good news, whether anybody believes it or not. And three, to release from within ourselves what cannot be contained, namely our love for the God who has been so good to us in Christ. Has God been gracious to you? Has he freed you from your sins, your death, your condemnation, your self-righteousness, your idolatry of the world's gospels? Has he freed you? Has his blood been spilt for you? Has the Holy Spirit applied the benefits of atonement to your souls sovereignly, powerfully, effectively, with assurance and grace? If so, then, dears, let your joy out in celebration. Release it, the free expression of your faith, for the honor of God the wonder of your own souls, and the good of the whole world. Beloved, the joy of the church is a great thing. 
Let us be those true believers in Jesus who know and exude the joy of the church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that where there is Christ and salvation and good news, there is joy. The text in Esther is a great example of it. It's a great parable of the world, of lost sinners, dead in Adam, condemned, hopeless, lost, under the ban. And yet, this Messiah who would come, prefigured even in Mordecai, saves us from all our sins, ennobles us, lifts us up, gives us an everlasting, eternal gospel to proclaim to the world. Thank you for Jesus. We bless you. He is our joy maker. And we bless you in his name. Amen.